today then. Take the burden off yourself of building this perfect future. I wonder, I wonder how many of us have had something in our lives but not really had it. How many of us have had things in our lives but never really gained anything uh, from them? Maybe it's something literal, physical. Maybe it's like a car, for example. Uh, when Robin and I got married a few years ago, we hired a car to drive here and there to take care of all the business that you've got to do when you're getting married. And so for that period of time, we had a car, but it wasn't really ours. And we had to give it back at the end of that period, end of that season. And we were driving around in it, and it felt like our car. We got some short-term benefit from it, but there was no lasting gain from it because we had to give it back. Because it wasn't really ours. If we'd planned to use it into the future, we would have been very, very disappointed. And maybe it's something less literal that you've had but not really had. Maybe it's more of an idea that you've had. Maybe you've thought, and I think this is true for so many of us, maybe you've thought about your future so much, what you'll do, where you'll go, who you will be, the kind of life that you're going to live, and you've convinced yourself that that's, that's me, that's where I'm heading, that's where I'm going. Maybe you're doing your best now to live in a way to guarantee your own future, but then what happens if it doesn't happen? When things change and your planned future doesn't materialize, you're going to find yourself grieving a future that never actually happened. You feel like you've lost something that you never actually had. And today then, in Ecclesiastes 6, that is exactly what Solomon is going to talk about, as Tim read for us this morning. We know, don't we, bigger picture, he's talking about all these different areas of life that we try and use to add meaning and, and definition to our lives. And today then, it's the future. Do we hope for, do we put all of our efforts into, do we put all our stock into a future not yet lived at the expense of enjoying today. So in Ecclesiastes 6, we're going to do what we do every single week. We're going to walk through it. We're going to see what it says. We're going to see what it means. We're going to see where it takes us and then what we do with it. So Solomon begins and he says, I've seen another misfortune that's a real burden to people. This is kind of similar to where he left off last week, but it's a little bit different. And he says in verse 2, God gives a man riches, property, and wealth so that he lacks nothing that his heart desires. Yet God does not enable him to enjoy the fruit of his labor. Instead, somebody else enjoys it. This is fruitless and a grave misfortune. So much can happen in our lives to stop us enjoying the future that we think that we will enjoy. And Solomon is thinking here, he knows here that life changes and fortunes fail, like he talked about last week. And so we get and we get and we bank on the future being so predictable and so steady and so secure that in, in one year, two years, five years, ten years, that's where I'm going to be and that's what it's going to be like. 
But what's this last 12 months taught us about that? Now, planning for the future, saving for the future, making wise decisions for the future are not evil things in and of themselves. But as the major mission of your life, as your master passion, no. He says, no, don't. He says, don't, don't do that. And then he uses this, this real and raw and heavy example. He says, it feels so wrong. It feels evil. It feels wrong that we're working now for something in the future that never actually comes. And he says, look, even if you have a hundred children and live many, many years, if you can't enjoy what God has given you now, it's better to have been a stillborn child. And this is where it gets really raw, really weird, really real, very, very quickly. He says, if you cannot enjoy the future that you're working towards, that you think you're going to have, in verse 3, he says, I would say a stillborn child is better off. He's talking about lives from pregnancies that end in tragedy and heartbreak. He's talking about stillborn children and miscarried children. I said, this is, <laughs> I said this is really heavy, and this got really heavy really quickly, didn't it? We might expect somebody like Job to make a statement like this, somebody who'd suffered so deeply. But this is Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, the richest man who ever lived. And he feels the same despair, the same crushing despair that Job did. When he's thinking about life like this, it feels so meaningless. It feels so pointless. He feels like it's better to have never been born. He says those lives come in silence. They depart in darkness. Often they don't even have a name. They never see the light of day. They don't know anything. But, but those lives, he says, have more rest than the rich who don't enjoy, the rich who can't enjoy the riches, those who get lots of stuff now but don't ultimately gain from them, those who plan on living in the future but they're just preparing for it now. Even if they live thousands of years but can't enjoy life, he said, it's actually better to not experience life at all. This is really heavy, isn't it? It's a very heavy and real example. He's saying that having wealth, riches, property, possessions that cannot be enjoyed in your present is worse than the heartbreaking experience of having a stillborn child or miscarrying a child. His language here, the words that he chose to use are so real. This is so raw and this is so loaded with emotion. This is heavy. This is deep despair that he's talking about. And if you've ever been through this, if you've experienced the situations that he is talking about, having a stillborn child or miscarrying a child, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And you know the depths of sadness 
that he is talking about. The depths of anguish that he is talking about. You know, so many times when we read through the Bible, we want to know, don't we, so much. What do they mean? How did they feel when they wrote this? What does this really mean? We want to understand with so much clarity, but not here. We don't want to understand what he means here. I wish that we didn't know. I wish that none of us knew what he was talking about, and it was just something theoretical, but it's not. And we do know, don't we? He's talking about the enjoyment, the joy, the experiences that you've planned for the future being taken away from you and not happening. He is grieving a future not yet lived. He's lamenting something that never actually happened. And that causes such a deep, deep despair in you because of how you think your life is going to be, how you think it should be. He says it feels evil. He says it feels wrong when this stuff, when your future that you've planned for yourself is taken away from you. He says it feels so wrong. And he says by living like this, by getting loads of stuff now, continually preparing for your future, having your attitude be too much, too future focus, too future heavy, you, we're going to bring this despair into our own lives. If, as he wrote, God doesn't enable him to enjoy the fruits of his labor by putting so much stock into a future that we're trying to make for ourselves, he says that all the work, all the riches, the cycle that we talked about in chapter four, it never ends. And what benefit does this bring? He knows the answer. What benefit does this bring in preventing death and defining lives in adding meaning, trying to ensure that we enjoy the future? What, what benefit does that bring? It's, it's rhetorical. He asked the question. There's no benefit to continually trying to plan a future for yourselves that you don't know is going to happen. Because if it changes, if God changes the plan for us in his sovereign way, if there's a better plan, a different plan for your life that glorifies him more and is actually better for you in a ways that you just don't understand right now, it's heartbreaking if we're too attached to a future not yet lived. Verse 9 here is really important. He says, It's better to be content with what the eyes can see than for one's heart always to crave more. This continual longing is futile like chasing the wind. He's saying, Be content with what God has put in your life right now, today, and save yourself the heartache of never reaching that point in the future that you've thought about so much, that you feel is so real, that if it doesn't happen, you will mourn and you will grieve over that unlived future like you've lost a child, is what he's saying. Be content with what your eyes can see. Be happy with what is in your life right now, today. Look around you. Kiss your children. Tell your friends that you love them. Don't try to add meaning to your own life by building some future that you don't know is going to happen. Don't try and add meaning to your life by building a future when meaningful life is happening all around you now right now. Don't live for the future, he's saying. Live today. 
Enjoy what God has put in your life now. And he wraps up this thought and he kind of sets the stage for the rest of the book. And he says, look, God knows everything that's going to happen. You, me, us, we don't know because God is so much greater than us. So what's the point in arguing with him? What's the point in arguing with him with your words or your actions? Because the more that happens, the less you actually uh, achieve. Again, he says, what benefit is there? None, he says. None, he knows. Nobody knows what's best for themselves during the short lives that we have that pass away. And again, it cycles back to that idea of be content with what your eyes can see. Live in the beautiful blessings that God has given you today, now. Be happy with what you've got now, today. Don't try and add meaning to your life by building a future that might not happen when there is meaningful life happening all around you today, now. His big idea here then is that banking on a future that is so stable and predictable that you can plan it and schedule it and guarantee that you're going to enjoy it is very dangerous. And he said it's heartbreaking if that doesn't happen. It will leave you grieving a future that never happened. What if God has other plans for you, Solomon says? What if God has other plans for us? We've been running around trying to figure out our own future and God has other plans for us. He's saying save yourself the heartache, the grief of a future not yet lived and enjoy your life. As God brings it across your path here, now, today, is what Solomon is saying. So what do we do with this then? How do we go from Ecclesiastes 6 to our life? Where's the bridge in between? Where's the thread that we want to pick up? Well, if you've got your Bible open, uh, I'd love you to turn with me a few books forward uh, to the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew's uh, record of the life, the ministry of Jesus. It's the fourth book of the New Testament, about 80% through your Bible or 80% down the list of books uh, if you're on your phone or a tablet. I'm going to go right to the end of Matthew, Matthew 28. Now, if you've spent time with any Christians before, you've probably heard this phrase, the Great Commission. Sounds very great, doesn't it? It's got great in the title. Something that Jesus said to 11 people. But the principle is still very, very applicable. So there's these 11 people. They go meet Jesus where he's told them to meet them. And they worship him. But some of them are still doubting. So Jesus says, look, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And that's it. That's the great commission. That's the big task. Make disciples of all nations. Because of who he has proven himself to be, go and make more disciples, more followers of Jesus. And there are three things in there that we do that contribute to making disciples. There's going to people. Go make disciples. There's baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there's teaching them to obey everything that I've commended you. 
And for good measure, he says, and remember, I'm always going to be with you from now until the end of the age. Now, something we often miss in there is Jesus saying, teach them, teach people to obey what I've commended. So yes, the the big thing, the big command in the commission is to make disciples. How do we do that? We go, we baptize, and we teach people to obey what Jesus has said. So you and me today, Solomon's given us this, look, don't live for a future that might not come because if it doesn't happen, you will be heartbroken. And what if God's got other plans for you? So for our discipleship, for our growth in our Christian life, What do we need to obey? What did Jesus say about what Solomon has said? Well, if your Bible's open to Matthew, just go back a a few chapters to Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is giving this epic, deep, rich teaching. And as part of it, he talks about what Solomon has talked about. Having but not gaining. Thinking about the future too much at the expense of today. So we'll pick it up in verse 25. Matthew 6, 25. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't there more to life than food? And more to the body than clothing? Look at the birds in the sky. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? And which of you, by worrying, can add even one hour to his life? Why do you worry about clothing? Think about how the flowers of the field grow. They do not work or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today, and tomorrow is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, won't he clothe you even more, you people of little faith? So then don't worry, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? For the unconverted pursue these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But above all, pursue his kingdom and righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So then, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. What did Jesus say about this then? Well, Jesus said, your life is more than all of the stuff that you've got. Your life is more than thinking about tomorrow. He uses a couple of examples to make this point. Birds and fields and God's creation. God made it. God sustains it. He loves it. He's going to look after it. God made you and God loves you. And God will look after you and God will provide for you. He provides for you now. And he will provide for you all the days of your life. I love the principle that we see in Isaiah 46, verse 4. He says, even when you are old, I will take care of you. Even when you've got gray hair, I will carry you. I made you and I will support you. I will carry you and rescue you. Love that verse. When we get too future focused, God says, 
Even when you are old, I'm going to take care of you. You don't get to retirement age and God doesn't say, all right, you're on your own now, pal. You've walked with me for 40 years. You've retired from work, so it's time to strike out on your own. He says, no, even when you're old, I'm going to take care of you. I made you and I will support you. The birds that Jesus uses as an example. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns. They're not trying to secure their own future at the expense of what they're doing today. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? He says, look, they go about about their business day to day. They're cared for by God all the days of their life. And you are so much more valuable than a little bird. You're made in God's image. He loves you. He's going to care for you all the days of your life. That's today, but all of your tomorrows as well. Solomon's talked about getting and getting, but not enjoying now. Solomon's talking about trying to ensure your future is so meticulously planned that then you can enjoy it and then I'll start living. Jesus says, look, the unconverted live like this. God knows you need taking care of, but forget that stuff. Jesus says, above all, pursue God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then he's going to take care of you with all that stuff as well. Don't worry about tomorrow. Think about tomorrow, tomorrow. Today is where we should be living. And in his letter to the Philippians, Paul says, all right, if anybody was going to make sure their future looked a certain way, it was going to be me. Paul says, if somebody thinks, if you think you've got a good reason, you've got good confidence in your credentials, Paul says, I've got more. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day from the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, he says. I lived according to the law as a Pharisee. My zeal for God, I persecuted the church according to the righteousness stipulated in the law. I was blameless. That's not the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. Paul says, but these assets, all that stuff, all my today's preparing for tomorrow activities, they're liabilities now. They're going to get me in trouble because of Christ. So Paul was getting and preparing, but there was no gain today. There was no freedom. There was no joy in his life because he's constantly preparing for tomorrow. He's got this list of credentials longer than anybody around. He's at the top of his field, so to speak, all the perks and pleasures of being the top guy. And he says all that stuff now is getting in the way because of who Jesus is and who, uh, who he is and, and what he did. What Jesus says about your life. All that stuff that I've been trying to do to prepare for tomorrow is now getting in the way. And he carries on and he says something shocking. Now in our sanitized modern English Bibles, this is not so shocking. But I'll let you retranslate it. I'm not going to say what Paul said. (laughs) But I'll let you do it. Paul said more than that. I regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And here we go. He says, indeed, I regard them as dung 
that I might gain Christ and be found in him. He says, look, you can get, you can get, you can plan, you can plan your own future. But living like that, it's dung. Now, his language would have been shocking. Just like if I said what he wrote, you would be shocked. Paul is talking about animal excrement. And he didn't write dung. So I'll let you retranslate that in your mind to get the force of what he was saying. Paul is swearing. It's a cuss word in this place and at this time. And it would be now, if I said what he said now, you would be very, very shocked. Paul is saying, get in and get in with no gain in the now, planning for your future. It's that. Living your life like that is the, the, the dung is what he's saying. Solomon says it's heartbreaking to live like that. Paul said what Paul said. But rather, he wants to now gain Christ and be found in him. My aim is to know him, Paul says, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, to be like him in his death, and somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul knew that his future didn't rest on himself. I want to be like Jesus and somehow be resurrected. It's only through Jesus that our future is guaranteed. Nothing that we do, nothing that we say, no plans that we make, no budgets that we sit and make. It's only through Jesus that our future is guaranteed. That then is what we should be going after. Those are the plans that we should be making. My aim is to know Jesus, Paul says, to experience the power of his resurrection. They're the plans that we should be making. To share in his sufferings. To be like him in his death. And then somehow, by the grace and the power of God, to attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's what we should be going after. Not a future that we've calculated and planned and budgeted and for getting everything now to prepare for a future. If it doesn't happen, Solomon says it's heartbreaking and we're going to feel deep despair like we've lost a child. Solomon says it is heartbreaking to live like that. Paul says it's something stronger than that. And Jesus says first, foremost, above all, Pursue God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Solomon says being too future focused is setting yourself up for heartbreak. Paul said what he said about trying to make sure our future looks a certain way. And Jesus said, none of that. Leave that alone. Think about tomorrow, tomorrow. Now, today, pursue God's kingdom and God's righteousness. God knows what you need. He made you. He loves you beyond 
belief for most people. God made you. He loves you. You're made in his image. You're a walking, talking image bearer of God. You're worth so much more than the birds that he provides for. God will take care of you now and all of your tomorrows, even when you're old, even when you've got gray hair. He's there for you and he will be there for you. He's never going to say, right, you're on your own now. I hope you've prepared for your future. Please don't misunderstand me. Making wise decisions, thinking about your future, planning your future is not inherently evil, but when it is the master passion of our life and we conduct ourselves as if we've got to take care of it by ourselves and we leave God out of the equation, that's what we're saying is wrong. Jesus says, no, first, foremost, pursue God's kingdom, God's righteousness. Today then, Take the burden off yourself of building this perfect future. You'll convince yourself that you're owed it, that it really is yours. And if it doesn't happen, you will grieve it like you've lost a child, Solomon says. Don't wait to start living until this magical future date arrives. Trying to secure your own future will lead to heartbreak, Solomon says. And Jesus has already secured us the most amazing, spectacular future possible. He did it. We don't need to. So we pursue him first. We put him first and foremost in our lives. We pursue God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Take the focus Take the burden, take the energy and the hope that you've put into your own future and give that to the Lord Jesus. Give him your hope for the future. Give him the energy that you're trying to build your own future with. Give it to him and get busy with his kingdom stuff now, today. Don't be living for all these tomorrows that may or may not happen. He said, above all, pursue God's kingdom and God's righteousness. As we move into then now a time of prayer, I want you to think. I want you to really think about what you're pursuing. Is it God's kingdom? Is it the righteousness that comes through faith in Christ alone, through the grace of God alone? Or are you trying to secure your own future, your own destiny? Are you trying to supplement? Yeah, I'm trusting Jesus, but I'm just going to do this stuff as well, just in case it doesn't work out with him. As we move into a time of prayer, then I want you to think about what are you pursuing, what God's word has to say about what you are pursuing and doing. Are you heading towards heartbreak if your planned future doesn't come? Are you holding as worthy what the word says is worthless and you're pursuing as your master passion what Jesus has commanded us to pursue are we obeying his words let's pray